today, I'd like to kind of uh, try to understand this, is aware of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. This awareness, this being aware of our relationship. You know, I was telling Becky, we were discussing this the other day, that to be aware is usually to care. Think about that. To, to be aware is to care. I mean, when you're around people and, and uh, they don't seem to be aware of what's going on with you or what you're feeling or sensing, we typically associate that with uh, not much caring. And so in the idea of becoming aware, uh, that's part of our goal that we've had since Pentecost to, to become more aware, more alert, more understanding of what our relationship is with the Holy Spirit. So being aware is to, at some level, care. And so I want us to consider, again, a few more areas in this. I had an interesting experience back in June uh, where this kind of being aware uh, maybe fits this. Uh, We uh, went to uh, Colorado Springs for a few days to get away. And uh, we always go to Glen Erie. Uh, That's the national headquarters, the uh, Navigators. It's a beautiful place. It's quiet. Um, You know, I I always somehow manage, though, there are no televisions in the room, and I always manage to get there during the NBA finals. (laughs) Bad planning on my part. You know, I'm sitting out in the car trying to find a radio station or find a place that's got a television, and Becky's saying, but we could just stay here and read. I know. I'm leaving. But we love it there, and it's wonderful. And, and, and on one day, and usually when I go out of town, you know, I try to leave people alone, <clears throat> generally, um, unless they're driving poorly. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm not, you know, I, I care about people, but I, I'm not real alert of what's going on, real aware of what's going on around me, uh, because I'm on vacation. Just relax now. I have about a 40-mile radius. You know, I'll care for about 40 miles around the house. But Becky cares wherever we go. And uh, so we were there, and a car drove up to the place of lodging, and uh, I noticed the car first. That was what, you know, I cared about that. And then I noticed there was a person. But uh, first first noticed the car. It was a really nice car. And uh, the guy is kind of looking around like, and for some reason, I, I just was aware that he was in need or something. So I walked, again, he had a nice car. So maybe that was part of it. I'm pretty shallow. Uh, so I walk around, and I just said to him, I said, are you trying to check in? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, you kind of got to go down to this other building to check in here. You, you don't just walk up to the lodging area and go to your room. You, you have to kind of check in. So that was it. <clears throat> so the next day I saw him again. And since we had talked before, I said, uh, did you get checked in? And he said, yeah, we got, we got checked in pretty good. And, and I said, it's great. Is this your first time? I, I'm thinking, what are you doing, Cliff? You're, you're on vacation. <clears throat> you're being nosy. <laughs> you you, you want to drive this guy's car? Uh, uh, I'll leave you to understand what kind it is. Uh, what are you doing? And, 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 and he said, yeah, we, we, um, uh, we, uh, we got checked in and everything's great. He said, uh, and I said, first time? Yeah, I said, our ministry is having a retreat here. And I said, really? Interesting. And so he told me the name of the ministry. It's called A Deeper Walk out of Indianapolis. And we just talked, and he said his, the ministry, he was, he's a board member, was how to help people come into freedom with Christ, of know who they are and kind of things like that. So I was intrigued. I said, that's interesting. And a couple other features about it that I was interested in. Anyway, so a guy walks up that's a board member of that group. His name is uh, Randy. And Randy comes up and starts talking. And then they talked about uh, some of the areas of how they help people to, you know, we've discussed this before, how to identify 
you know, uh, where Paul says, you know, we're in a spiritual conflict. And so they train people and work with people kind of in that area of helping them to understand how to kind of resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I said, just offhanded, I said in that conversation, I said, well, I had a professor at seminary, uh, David Siemens, uh, or Steve Siemens, uh, David's son, who kind of ministered to me in that area. And I've always been interested. He's a PhD in systematic theology. He actually... Uh, Steve was actually mentored and trained by Dr. Thomas Oden, uh, Tal Oden's uh, uncle, a guy here in town I've, I've referred to. So Steve and I have known each other, and it's been a great relationship. Well, anyway, so we're talking about that, and I said, Steve Siemens at Asbury Seminary. This guy just walked up. Randy said, oh, you know something about Asbury Seminary? I said, yeah, I went to school there. He said, really? He said, uh, I'm from Lexington, Kentucky. And I said, wow, that's interesting, you know, Kentucky, you know, three million people, two last names. And uh, (laughs) if you're from Kentucky, I apologize. But I lived there a while. Uh, And he said, I live in Lexington, Kentucky. And he said, I was led to Jesus by a guy that I worked with. And he called his name, John Joyner. And I said, John Joyner? Yeah. You mean you know John Joyner from Lexington, Kentucky? Yeah. John Joyner's a good friend of mine. John Joyner and I went to church together. John Joyner and my dad drove a truck from Lexington, Kentucky to Guatemala City, Guatemala before they had their heads examined to take to a missionary. And I said, you know John Joyner? He said, yeah. I said, did you go to Eastland, Eastland Parkway Church of God where my dad was a pastor? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, my dad was the pastor. <laughs> he, yeah. I said, you know, come on. So we talked. He knows John Joyner. John Joyner led him to Jesus. And he said, and Don and Robbie Joy at Asbury Seminary discipled me. I mean, I was blown. I called my brother I looked to heaven and said, hey, dad, did you hear that? Because <clears throat> my dad trained John Joyner how to share his faith. And John Joyner led Randy to Christ. And now Randy is a board member for the Deeper Walk ministry that goes all around the world and helps train people on how to find freedom in Christ. I thought about that a little bit later. I thought, what if I had just not been aware? Think about it. I mean, just this is kind of in my head. Think, I would have been walking around the grounds at Glen Erie, walking by a guy, just say, hi, Harry, and led to Christ by my friend, John Joyner, (laughs) discipled by the professor that wrote a letter for my doctoral work, Don Joy, who knew the guy that administered me, Steve Siemens, who'd been discipled and did his PhD dissertation under the guidance of Thomas C. Oden. That was all around me right there. But had I not been aware or just noticed someone, never known it, would have kept walking by each other. It was the most fascinating experience. I, it was just incredible. We, I now have a relationship with these guys. We're talking. I'm going to fly up to Indianapolis and meet with them and uh, see if they can fix me. And, uh, <clears throat> and Becky has sent, I've already bought the ticket. <clears throat> so, um, Yeah. Being aware. I think this is kind of the impulse that I want to end with or this idea about the Holy Spirit. Is that 
that our awareness of him. We've talked about this. He's a person. We've discussed the fact that he is, his ministry is the goal of God's activity. Everything, the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is all pointing toward and moving toward the final fulfillment of Pentecost. He he is and his ministry is the whole reason that people become born again. For Jesus said, if you're not born of the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. And so, so all of this is going on and all of this is true, but sometimes our awareness level is pretty low. Our our awareness of him. And so I want to kind of finish this up of just saying I'm trying to make us aware. Now, I will grant you that we've been working through this, and it's on your outline, I think. I can make this work, I think. That we've discussed this, that in this being awareness, we need to be aware the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Okay? Second, we've got this, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Now, in working through this, I just have to tell you that, you know, I I thought, boy, this sounds kind of negative. We're going to go a couple of more. But, but in reflecting and kind of meditating and working through this, I thought these ideas of that the Holy Spirit of God can actually be grieved by the way we treat each other. Remember, if you're interested in this, you can listen to the recordings. We've recorded all this. Or the Holy Spirit can be resisted. I think this really speaks to the notion that I tried to make clear. Is this as a real relationship? I think some of us have, again, views of God that are more Greek than biblical. That God is just this power, impassibility. He, he can't be affected by anything. He, he, he knows everything, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it tends to reduce the relational dimension. That we really have an effect on the relationship. That, that we really do have an effect. I, I'm not, I don't think that's negative. I think that's positive to say this is the kind of God that we're involved with. Who we can actually affect or have results in the relationship. That makes sense? I, I think far too often, our view of God is kind of this reductionistic, abstract creature, being, that we don't really think we have any impact with. Everything's going along to his schedule. There's no issues, which I would suggest that prayer doesn't make any sense then, if all that's all prescripted and tried. So I, I'm, not, I'm not, these are, you know, when it says resist and greed, those are, those are kind of negative, kind of, except I think that what they speak to, this is a real relationship. You're really related to a real person here. And your activity and my activity has an effect on our relationship with him. I don't hear that very often. I, I, I don't hear, and so I'm trying to make us a little bit more aware of that. Okay, so now let's move on. There's another one. I'll go to your table of contents. I want you to look at a passage here. It's always fascinated me. Uh, it's found in 1 Thessalonians. In my Bible, it's 11.28. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to work through a passage here uh, that we'll look at. And this uh, has to do with, uh, if you will, uh, this third point, or C on your outline there is this, is that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. I, I want you just to, to look at this, and there's just a series of exhortations, a series of commands uh, that Paul uh, 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 gives, and it starts in verse 12 of chapter 5. For we request, brethren, that you appreciate those diligent labor on you, have charge over you, give some information there. Verse 15, uh, verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 
And see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another, all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not, in the, the, at least, if you will, um, some, of the, some of the punctuation here. Do not re- quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now, I want to unpack that here just for a little bit. Uh, because uh, Paul, uh, making this statement, and by the way, the thoughts and opinions teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across these community church, it's elders or leadership. I'm going to wade in here on something that often we're not aware of or don't talk a lot about, is this idea of quenching the spirit. Now, the idea of quench, the word quench, in, in like, really means to put the fire out, to put the fire out. The idea of throwing water on it um, or water on a fire. And it has the notion of, of uh, dampening down, damping down a fire. And Paul says here, don't quench the spirit. In other words, be aware of the fact that you can have an effect on the spirit that quenches or damps down or dampers down the work of the spirit. Again, isn't this crazy that we can have this kind of an effect on God? Becky and I were talking about something the other day, and, and she's, you know, she's talking to me and, and, and saying a couple things to me. And she says, well, and again, this is Cliff's understanding of theology. You know, you don't have to agree with it. I have a little thing on my refrigerator that says everybody has their own right to be wrong. You know, so <laughs> my dad bought one and said everybody has a right to my opinion. So, um, uh but, but we, were, we were discussing a, a, an issue and we were praying. And I uh, say we were praying about it, praying about an issue. And Becky said, well, just pray that the Lord will open the door on this thing. I, I said, I agree with that, Beck. But if I understand anything about the relationship between God, the Holy Spirit, and us, God can open a door and the other people on the other side can close the door. Right? I mean, I have, I have students that believe they're called of God to go in ministry. And churches say, we don't want you. Does that mean they're not called to ministry? It means this is a dynamic relationship here. It's a dynamic relationship. I know churches who have resisted the will of God. I know boards and people who've decided this may be God's will. We're not doing it. We don't care anyway. Does that make sense to you? Have you, you seen this? I'm telling you, this is the awareness that we have to bring to our understanding of dealing with God in, the, in our relationship. This is not, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine one time, there's not just one will in the universe. There's at least three. Okay? So, so this idea of us having an effect on God, uh, having an effect here. So quenching the Spirit. Uh, now, what does that mean? Particularly, I think these verses hang together. And I'm going to just try to work them through. One of the ways that Paul may be here defining that is quenching the Spirit by despising prophetic utterance. Woo, here we go. (laughs) That's what I said, the thoughts and opinions teacher. That's what it says there. It appears they're connected grammatically. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterance. Now now let's look at that because that word prophetuo is often translated uh, throughout the New Testament uh, uh, to mean to, let me give you the word, is to Forth tell. Forth tell. 
In fact, I think if you looked at the prophets in the Old Testament, you would realize all they're doing is saying, this is what God told you is going to happen, and it's going to happen now, right? You follow other gods, you, you go after other idols, he said he's going to spit you out of the land, guess what? He's fixing to spit you out of the land, okay? So the majority, I would say 90% of the Old Testament, what we would call prophetic speaking, has to do with what God's already said. It's in one sense invoking what God has said. And in addition to that, I think what we consider generally in our tradition and others is that prophetic utterance has to do with foretelling or preaching or sometimes even teaching. Now, what does Paul say? Don't despise that. Uh, you know, have you ever despised some teaching? Not in here, of course. I know, so I'm you know, being... <clears throat> you ever despise, despise means to treat with contempt. Like, have you ever... De- I, you know, I have when, when Marty starts getting under my skin a little bit, you know? Like, well, who do you think you are? You know? Huh? This idea of despising, uh, if you will, of, of not taking and not accepting. And, and, and so Paul says, don't do that. Now, there is a... I've got to be honest with you. And I will be. I'm not everybody. Yes, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> there are a couple of instances in the New Testament. In Acts, particularly Acts 11, 27, you can look at it later, where Agabus comes to Paul, who's on his way, and has a belt and says, whoever wears this belt, nothing but persecution and, and torment. You know, he says, hard times and torment await them. He's saying, whoever, whoever this is. Now, I, let, me, let me try to work this. Is that Agabus telling the future? Or is that Agabus forthtelling about Paul? Let me tell you why. What, what did, when Paul, I'm, I know I'm jumping here. When, when, when Paul was, if you will, fall off the donkey, met Jesus, and was brought to him. Ananias was sent to him. You go read this in Acts. Ananias was sent to him, and you can imagine that. Hey, I want you to go see that guy, Paul. Oh, hey, Lord, don't you know about this guy? <laughs> uh, what did God tell Agabus? Agabus, he, uh, uh, tell uh, Ananias. I got all the A's mixed up. Ananias. He said, you go tell Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Does Paul need a prophetic word to know that? Agabus has already told him. Or Ananias has already told him back when he was converted. What is Agabus doing? He's forth-telling what God's already said. So I, I, I want to, I just, I, because there's a lot of confusion here. And there's a lot of extreme that can happen. We typically have interpreted this, understood this as forth-telling. Agabus is, if you will, simply saying what Paul already knows. You're going to suffer for me. That's what's going to happen as you follow me. And Agabus is telling that. Now, watch this, because I think, I think that's interesting. He says, don't despise, if you will, prophetic utterance, which is the idea of telling the truth. I said to my students, we live in a day right now, I think, where there may be a greater need for what I call prophetic utterance. To call out error. That's prophetic to say in love and kind, this is wrong, or this is right. The way we're treating people, the way we're doing things. We live in a culture today where it's kind of the mob mentality, whatever mob we're in. 
And somebody sometimes needs to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is not right. I, I refer you to a book I'm reading. It's by, it's, it's by a Presbyterian, but I think you can trust it. I think it is. I think you can trust part of it. It's called Jesus Outside the Lines. Talking about how no political party can capture Jesus. Chapters red state, blue state. Chapter is on rich uh, uh, money and poverty. It's on, you know, the idea of, of, of citizen and immigrant. He's saying, look, we, we got to find Jesus is outside of these lines. And he's speaking prophetically. He's a Scott Sauls. He's at uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, uh, he is a Presbyterian, so I'm watching him close. You know. <clears throat> but this idea of prophetically speaking about what is true. Now, I'm going to show you how this works. Watch this. Now, the, the a positive or the, <clears throat> the word in 21, but. Watch this. Don't despise prophetic utterance, which I'm associating with telling the truth, what I already know. Examine everything carefully. See the, see, the, see the contrast? But, in other words, don't despise prophetic utterance. Don't, ah, not listen to that. Ah, don't worry about that. In other words, he's, he's saying, don't be gullible. Listen to me now. Don't be gullible. Paul's trying to bounce. Don't be gullible. But what do you do? Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now, you know what? I'm going to go backwards here a second, but I, you know, I'm on vacation. So, How many of you heard this last part of this verse? Abstain from every evil. About movies. <laughs> How many heard abstain from, you know, playing pool at the pool hall? Church of God, Nazarene people, work with me here. <laughs> Amen, right? Yeah. I want to go. I, and you know what? My dad would, you know, say, or they'd say, you know, mix bathing. Now, my dad was against that. He didn't mind mixed swimming, but he said no mixed bathing. Okay. Didn't y'all go to youth camp where they said that mixed bathing? You know, a, an older lady came up to my dad one time because they were sending us all to the same swimming pool. Oh, my gosh, we're swimming with people. And he, she comes up to my dad and says, Brother Sanders, what do you think about this mixed bathing? And my dad says, oh, man, I am totally against mixed bathing. Absolutely will not stand for it. Well, she kind of bows up. like He says, I don't see nothing wrong with mixed swimming. <laughs> she walked off mad. <clears throat> I, that's why the way I am. I, I was raised by a wild guy. <laughs> they pulled this verse out of context for everything they didn't like. Movies, pool, mixed swimming, all that kind of stuff. You, do you know what the context is here? Prophetic utterance. Look at that. He's saying don't despise prophetic utterance, but don't be gullible. Test everything. Hold to that which is good and shun every or resist every form of evil. I've never heard this verse preached in context. Never heard anybody say that it is possible. Now, listen to me. It's possible for people who think they're under the inspiration of the Spirit to be saying and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We've seen it. We know it. We've recognized it. It's rampant. 
Sometimes I think that's why we, in a more evangelical, we've kind of pulled back from the Holy Spirit because we don't want to get involved in all that stuff, right? Bear with me. It's because we fail to recognize. Paul is saying, look, don't despise it, but don't swallow everything you hear. Look here. Now I'm going to watch you. I want to show you this. Examine everything carefully. Everything. You know, you know I, I'll tell you, when it says, exempt, that, that word means to test. It's a Greek word, dokimazo. Now, this is, a, this is the picture that comes to my mind. I'll try to explain this. <laughs> dokimazo is the Greek word that means to test for genuineness. Now, if you've seen any John Wayne movies, <clears throat> you know in the Old West... Whenever they got a gold coin because they were afraid it was part of lead just covered, what they do to it? They bit it, right? Because gold is softer. I hear. I've never had any, but, you know, <clears throat> I hear softer. And that was, you know, in the, in the cantina where, yeah, take it. You know, so it was good. Well, there's this kind of uh, tradition with Olympic athletes that when they get the gold medal, they bite it. <laughs> It's just crazy that, that the idea is, is we're, of course it's gold, but it's not complete gold, so you're going to go to the dentist after this. It's gold-plated. But it, but it references the notion of testing. Listen, this is the challenge of being aware of life in the Spirit. Don't be cynical about everything that you hear. And don't be gullible about everything you hear. Test it. Now, I, I, I've, I, you know, I've, I've tried to work through this at different times to, to test it, to be, to be careful. And this is Cliff now. This, of course this is good. But I'm just saying, this is my opinion, my idea. I have too much time on my hands right now. How do you test those things? Well, I would say, what is the outcome of it? And what I mean that is this. <clears throat> Does the outcome of it puff someone up as a leader or a teacher or a professor or whatever? Does it really produce the fruit of the Spirit where there's love and joy and peace and kindness? Does it make one more Christ-like or more difficult to deal with? Let me tell you why I, I say this. I get nervous when I wrote my notes here, test everything, dokimazo, uh, test it. I get nervous when people are unwilling to examine matters. I get nervous with me or anybody. I heard of a pastor years ago who was in a big venue uh, and teaching and going on. I mean, there were thousands of people. And somebody got worked up, I guess, about it. And ran down the middle of the aisle and said, this person is a false prophet. They didn't teach me how to deal with that seminary. <laughs> and starts rattling. Well, people are going to, you know, the security kind of grab it. And he said, the guy goes, oh, hold on, stop, 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 stop. I mean, there are thousands of people here. He said, let her, let her be, let her, let her finish. She finished. And then he said, <clears throat> let's just stop here for a minute and ask God if what I'm saying is wrong. 
So there are thousands of people sitting there listening. And he just prays. And says, God, if what we're saying here, would you give us some of the sense here? It's kind of like the Quakers do. Give us the sense. Is what we're saying wrong? Is what, I, what I'm saying wrong? After a few minutes, he just said, you know, I, unless someone has some awareness here, I think we'll go on. Wow. That is a person who is willing to test everything. Hold to that which is good and resist every form of evil. Do people get irritated when they ask to be tested? Do they get puffed up when they use a gift and they think they're unquestionable? Do they become leader-centered <clears throat> instead of Jesus-centered? Those are the testing things I start going. And I'm just telling you, when people are unwilling to be questioned, I just back away. I say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with this. Because a person, I believe, under the guidance and the purveyance of the Spirit is one of the characteristics, I believe, is teachable. They know they don't know it all. And isn't it interesting that Paul says, examine everything. This is where I have contentions with some people that I think kind of get out of whack on this thing. They'll just swallow anything you say. They'll believe anything. If it's loud enough, you know, if it's exciting enough, it's got to be the Spirit. No, it doesn't. You know, I told people before, I'm not all that smart. I'm serious, y'all. I'm loud. <laughs> Sometimes people mistake that. So Paul is saying here, look, don't become cynical. God can't speak, can't tell us truth. Don't be gullible. Don't, don't be willing to swallow anything that anybody says. The Lord told me. Man, oh man, I've heard that before. I say, well, why didn't he tell me? <clears throat> the Lord told me to tell you. Right? Uh, this is not priestcraft. I don't need somebody outside of me. I've got the same spirit. So, so is it, But how many of you heard this verse misused? Abstain from every form of evil. Yeah. They just pulled it right out, and it worked conveniently for them. You know, kept me from going to the pool hall. I could have had a career. <laughs> I could have been a contender. No. I'm old. I remember all those old movies. Let me show you something else here, just real quick. <clears throat> just real quick. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14. That's in your New Testament. Go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm just fascinated how Paul understands, okay, let's not get this thing haywire. 1 Corinthians 10.85. We're going to go to chapter 14. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to call your attention to a passage. In chapters 12, 13, 14, Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts, empowerments through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> empowerments through the Holy Spirit. And this church in Corinth is a mess. <clears throat> and he's trying to straighten them up and help them get aligned up and, and figure out what's going on. And <clears throat> so um, here he is, uh, getting the right book, Cliff. Uh, <clears throat> here he is uh, giving them some counsel about spiritual gifts, some of the more, you know, extravagant ones. <clears throat> and he, <clears throat> he says in, right in the middle of it, in bed, look here in chapter 14, verse 20. Brethren, in the midst of this council, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. 
but in your thinking, be mature. Here's my, here's my, and I, you know, again, these thoughts and opinion, not the, the churches, but my part of my concern for my students and others, and what some of what I might consider, maybe for me, maybe you don't think it's true, but a, a more extreme position sometimes with the gifts of the Spirit is there's very little thinking going on. It's all emotion and feeling and response. And I've been around it enough to watch that thing go down the drain on several occasions. And Paul says right in the middle of it, he's trying to counsel them. He's trying to tell them, here's how spiritual gifts operate. Here's how they work. Hey, don't be a baby. The Greek word, by the way, here is nepeos, and it is not like you just need to grow up. It's like quit being a baby. That's when you tell a 16-year-old that, they don't like it. Quit being a baby. It's nepeos. It's not a fond, it's not a term of endearment. Quit being childish, baby in your thinking. In evil, be babies. But in your thinking, be mature. The Greek word, they're perfect, grown up. So, so here's, here's what I want to ask you um, in this application. Is your default that you're an acceptor? You'll accept anything comes along. <clears throat> Is that your default? You're an acceptor. If it's loud enough, if it's exciting enough, if somebody says it with enough conviction, you accept it. Or are you a tester? <laughs> That's what Paul said. <clears throat> Could you make some movement to the other side? If you're an acceptor, you have a tendency to accept anything that comes along that looks, feels, acts like it might be the Spirit. Would you be willing to ask more questions? Say, well, wait a minute, hold on. Let me ask a couple questions here. Let me, let me at least just consider. Or if you're a tester, I'm a tester. That's just my default. You know? Um, Listen more. Be willing to listen. But this is what Paul's trying to balance. He's trying to balance out the people that are going to quench the Spirit and the people that are going to go wild with the Spirit. It is a matter, if you will, of understanding that this passage about testing, examining, and shunning every shade or appearance of evil has to do with these spiritual gifts. Isn't that fascinating? It's not about movies in a pool hall. It's about spiritual gifts. This again is why I think so many people avoid them, stay away from them, can't find the balance here. Does that make sense to you? So which one are you? Are you a tester? <clears throat> You're kind of cynical? <laughs> Kind of one of those people that, you know, I've been around the block before. I know what's going on. You know, or are you an acceptor? Anything that sounds exciting, emotional, feels good, you know. Tell my students, you know, let's say, you know, I, and I, I don't, you know, I try to help them. But, you know, they'll, they'll say things like at chapel, well, I just didn't feel the spirit there today. And I said, well, you didn't bring him? And they go, huh? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Grow up. Be mature in your thinking. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He doesn't dwell in that room, right? 
He didn't come there last night and spend the night. He dwells in you. My feeling, well, but I think you have to agree. I think you have to wrestle with this. Am I a tester or am I an acceptor? How aware of you are you in that area? Do you tend to resist prophecy in terms of preaching, teaching, foretelling? Is there, is there kind of a resistance there? It's got to be the right person, the right time, the right way, the right, the right method, you know. Could, couldn't be any other way than what I'm, what I'm used to, right? Okay, i got to move on. i got a big one here now. I don't want to do this. But we be aware. I've had people ask me this question too many times. This is real fun, isn't it? <laughs> Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. I want to just uh, take you to Mark chapter 3. We're going to look there just for a few minutes. Mark chapter 3. And the reason I say that because... <clears throat> I've talked to Becky about this. You know, I said to her, have you ever thought you did this? Or do you know people? I've, I've had people here at the church call me and say, uh, I need to talk to you about something. I feel like maybe I've done this. And so I've talked to them, and, and I've had good conversations. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus is referring to this, it's found in Mark chapter 3. He's been, it starts really in verse 20. He'd come home, and the crowd had gathered around him to such an extent he couldn't even eat. And when his own people heard of this, they sent out to custody for him, for they were saying he's lost his senses. His own family uh, thinks he's lost it. You know, Mary, the kids, the other kids, they, they think he's kind of gone off the deep end. And so <clears throat> then the Pharisees show up. And of course, they're, they're, the, you know, they're the cheerleaders for Jesus has lost it. And <clears throat> they're saying, well, you know, the reason he does this is because he casts the devil out by the devil, Satan or Beelzebul. And Jesus hears this, and then he says in verse 20, or it's in record 20, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now let me work you through this just real quick, <clears throat> as I can. Blasphemy, or blasphemeo, is a term that literally has to do with to hold in contempt. Hatred. It's not just a word. It has within it this notion of to hold with such contempt and hatred. To blaspheme. Now Jesus says that all sins can be forgiven, but this particular sin can't be. So what is it? Um, I want you to look here just uh, for a moment. What's going on? What are these guys saying? That the work of Jesus is from whom? The devil. The devil. <clears throat> okay. So they're blaspheming, saying, you know, and then Jesus says, because you say that about me, it can't be forgiven. Why? Why can that sin not be forgiven? If you think Jesus is from the devil, are you going to him for forgiveness? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're going to do? 
that if you believe that Jesus is from the devil, it's unforgivable because you're not going to go to him for forgiveness. Why? Because you have contempt and hatred for him. This is, I think, what Jesus, because he says, that Mark explains it. Why does Jesus say this? Because they were saying he is an unclean spirit. This is the sin. You can't go in two directions at the same time. You can't say Jesus is from the devil and then respond to the spirit about the conviction of sin and then turn to him for forgiveness. Any, forgive, any sin can be forgiven if you turn to God in Jesus. But the condition these people are in is they have come to the conclusion Jesus is from the devil. So is it unforgivable in its nature? No, I don't think so. It's unforgivable in its expression. Those people aren't going to Jesus. And so people think it's a particular sin. Now I want you to notice this right here because in verse 30, uh, I make some important here. It said in the New American Standard, I'm not sure how ESV translates it, but it says this. They were saying, this uh, tense in Greek means they had been saying it, they're still saying it, and they keep saying it. This is not an act. This is a, this is a condition of the heart. It's not an act. It's a condition of the heart. They have been saying this. They keep saying this. And they will continue to say this. That's why, John, that's why Mark, I think, places that in there. <clears throat> the impossibility here is not forgiveness. God can forgive and will forgive any sin that a person comes in. The impossibility is that the one gets to this point, there's no desire for forgiveness because they don't believe that Jesus is the one who can forgive. That's why it's unforgivable. You with me? Anyone that says, I don't have to go to Jesus for forgiveness, has sin that's unforgiven. It's not an act, as I read it. It's only that it's unforgivable because people have come to this position that Jesus is from the devil. It's not an act. Does that make sense? You with me? I heard it in my time. Nobody explained it to me, and I had some real concerns over this in the past, that I thought it was an act or a statement or something I had done. As I read this more closely, I thought, wait a minute. By the way, I would say this. These Pharisees didn't go home that night and have a meeting and say, you think we're too tough on Jesus today? <laughs> you know, we were, we were pretty tough on him. Maybe we're a little too tough. No, no. They've come to the position. He's from the devil. Salvation has now been cut off to them. Because they have the position. He's from the devil. Jesus is simply saying, if you blaspheme the Spirit like this, by resisting His attempt to convince you who I am, it's not that God won't forgive, it's He can't forgive because you won't come to Him. Does that make any sense to you? Yes? Yeah, she's asking the question for recruiting. Is it possible a person could stop? I, uh, there's a couple ideas on here. I'll, I'll, I'll unwind it. Uh, you can look at Hebrews 10 in this area. There's another passage related to this. And all of these passages speak to the idea that it's something that's continuing. 
And most scholars would say this. If a person who had come to this position, Jesus is from the devil. And I'm not just saying they said it. It's not an act of saying it. It's, this is the position I'm in. He's from the devil. I don't believe him. He's, he's a, if they were to stop that and come to the conclusion that Jesus is not from the devil, yes, they could be forgiven. It's a state, guys. It's a, it's a state of being here, not an act. It's coming to a conclusion and say, well, this guy's from the devil. That's why it's unforgivable because he's the only one that can forgive you. Yeah. So were they blinded because of that hard heart? You know, I, I, was, I was, yeah. She's asking the question, were they blind because of a hard heart? One guy wrote this and I thought, I need to think some more about this, so don't take this. Well, you can take it any way you want to, but I mean. <clears throat> he said, <clears throat> we all must be aware of our ability to harden our heart. And he, I thought this was fascinating. He said, <clears throat> and it is most typical to happen when we're trying to defend an advantage we have. Don't you think? The hardening of the heart is the most easy to do when we're trying to defend an advantage that we have. Um, well, I want to be careful here. <clears throat> I don't want to be too careful. <clears throat> I don't think so. I don't, I don't see any place in Scripture <clears throat> where God gives up on people. You may be referring to where the talk about uh, Pharaoh. I've often said to my students, <clears throat> I think the thing with Pharaoh uh, has to do with the fact that Pharaoh's a god. He's not just a king. He's a god. And the children of Israel and Pharaoh, this, this, this is the war of the gods that's going on. It's not just a guy. All of Egypt believes he's a god. But I don't see anywhere that God gives up on people. Uh, but, but could we harden our heart? <clears throat> I, I'm going to tell on me, okay, on this particular area. Because I've been praying about this um, issue. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's the last week. I'm saying these guys got somehow to some hardened position. My guess is because they knew that Jesus was fixing to tear things up for the church or for the synagogue. Right? He was fixing to change things. They, their job was at stake. Maybe their status in the community. So I'm just going to take a risk to tell you about me. Um, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a law and order guy. You know, I'd like for people to do the right thing. And as I'm watching television, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be alert to the way my soul is moving about this illegal immigration thing. I'm trying to pay attention. Am I showing any real concern for people? Or am I just trying to say I'm a law and order kind of guy and you got to abide by the law, right? And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm watching me defend an advantage. And I'm not against citizenship and those kind of matters. But I realized something was going on in my soul that I didn't like. I mean, I just, whoa. 
how can I have as little regard in my thinking as I have right now? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying that they say that our hearts get hardened when we find out we're trying to defend an advantage we have instead of perhaps looking at the issue. Now that's, I know that's incendiary kind of language. Thoughts and opinions of this teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the right? But can't your heart get hard when you're trying to defend an advantage you have? Whether it be a job or citizenship or, or, or whatever. It can, be, it can happen. These guys have hardened their heart because they've defended the advantage of they're not going to let Jesus mess up the religious apple cart here. And so I just, I, I took it as I was doing research on this, I took that as a, a thought to think of myself to say, Cliff, are there advantages that you are so dialed in on that you don't really see the issue and it's hardening your heart? Does that, does that make sense to you? If you see any of that happening at times in you? I, it was really disturbing to me. And I'm watching and I'm, and I'm journaling about it and I'm writing and I just thought that was a powerful way to say it, that when I'm trying to defend an advantage that I have, I could be hardening my heart against what the Spirit may be wanting to do. How the Spirit might be wanting to make... And I don't know the answer. I, I just, I just want to alleviate, because I think the Scripture does. No one who has any concern about this has ever done this. Nobody. Nobody that turns to Jesus and looks to him and asks for forgiveness, you know, and they don't have to beg and they don't have to say, I'm so sorry what I did in the past, but come to Jesus and turn to him, he'll forgive. But it's going to be unforgivable if you think Jesus is from the devil. Why? Because you'll never go to him. Does that make sense? Don't allow yourself to be beat up by the enemy. Who wants you to think because you said something stupid or you, you did something crazy or you made some offhanded remark or you were vile that you can't be forgiven because there's one sin you can't be forgiven. No, it's because a person remains in this state of that Jesus is from the devil. You can never be forgiven if that's the position you take. That's why it's unforgiven. Right? Okay. So, in this matter, uh, uh, boy, y'all do this? I said no questions. Y'all tricked me again. All right, let, I'm going to finish here then. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, okay, so I, I just want to say, I don't know what I'm doing next week, so just come back. We'll figure it out. I got a really good point here. It's real positive. It ends on a high note. Ooh. <clears throat> To be aware is to care. I think, I think to be aware is to care. In the coming week, you can care for yourself and others. And you can care for people you meet by being willing to be an agent of God's Holy Spirit to help them. To say... There's nothing that you can do 
that God won't forgive. Jesus is able to forgive anything you've ever done. I'll show you an example of this. And this is where some of us are. I was in Albuquerque one time not listening to a sermon. And uh, I just got distracted. And uh, I was sitting there and the Lord seemed to be telling me some stuff. And it was this. Take your pen out or something like this. I've done this before, but take your pen out. You may need to be reminded. So at your pen. How many of y'all think your pen or pencil's taller than I am? No. But when you do this, right? See this? Pull it up. Is that pen taller than I am? Why? It's out of perspective. This is what the Spirit told me, I believe. And with people that are afflicted by this thing about the unpardonable sin, whatever it is, it's this. The devil will maximize your sin to minimize the blood of Jesus. He'll never get you to reject it. He'll just minimize it. He knows you're too smart to say it isn't there. He'll just say, your stuff's too big. So he will maximize your sin to minimize the blood of Jesus. Brilliant. Right? Because you're not rejecting the blood of Jesus. You just have questions as to whether or not it can cover you. And I've said this to you before. Remember, 1 John 2, 2 says this. He's not only propitiation for our sin, but for the sins of the whole world. You're not that big a deal. Okay? Just, just embrace that. You're not that big a deal. Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world. But that's what He does, doesn't He? For some of us, this is the way we've lived. He's maximized it. That's all we can see. Instead of recognizing the blood of Jesus... We come to Him. Don't call Him from the devil. The blood of Jesus is more than able. He's also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Okay? 1 John 2, 2, if you don't believe me, you're not that big a deal. I hate to break the news to you. You're not. I'm not. So let's help people as the Spirit leads us to let them know to be aware is to care. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're bigger than we are. You're greater than we are. You're more loving than we are. You're more alert than we are. You're more aware of us than we are. You're the great Savior of the world. We don't want to be neurotic. We don't want to be kind of always worrying. But we want to do, we do want to be aware of this relationship. So would you carefully guide us, help us, lead us into more full understanding, more full experience of relating to you, the Holy Spirit, as a real person. We trust you to do that. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, amen.